Well, hello there, and thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Stephen Kowalczyk, and tonight we're serving up a heaping helping of inspirational stories, thought-provoking topics, and unique perspectives. I hope you came hungry, because you're about to devour an addictive podcast. So we're here with Faith McFluff. Hello, Faith. Hi, Steve. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm fabulous. In fact, I'm absolutely fabulous. We are going to dig into your brain a little bit and ask a lot of questions. We want to know more about the processes involved with that kind of creative thinking and execution because I've seen a lot of your work and it's pretty spectacular. So um, tell me about yourself a little bit, Faith. Tell me how you even got to the point to where we're sitting here at Meet the Mixologist. Oh, wow. I mean, there, there's so many different points. You want to talk about how I ended up into mixology? Yeah, okay, absolutely. Perfect. <laughs> um, so my dad loved beer. Loved What was his favorite beer? beer? He loved an ice cold Foster's. He drank those big okay, oil good, cans. Good, good, or Bex. Um, those that, were really big at the time. They were. They <laughs> were. And, but they were the better beers yeah. at the time of what you were able to get, you know, um, readily available because the craft beer movement hadn't really hit. Absolutely. Um, so I loved pouring his beer for him as a kid and like he taught me the proper way to make a black and tan. Like that was oh, my wow. Is yes. he Australian? No. no, he just loved that no. drink. Yes. He loved black and tans and he we there was a second where we didn't have any spoons that weren't like bent into black and tan spoons. Oh, shit, so I think funny. I was twelve when I learned how to Did make like the, the perfect black and for show and <laughs> it's, it really is, food. it really is, uh, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's science is what it is. But, and I think that's what fascinated me so much about it. Yeah. Um, and the fact that when you drank it, it still stayed separated if you did it properly. And that was the moment you were really remember. Yes. So, um, I want to say I was like 11 or 12 when I was making like perfect black and tans. That's so funny because um, people even now struggle with making yeah. perfect black and tans. <laughs> uh, so I want to say that that's my first like, mixology quote-unquote huh. moment that, that's um, beer mixology that's beer mixology so yeah. eventually i ended up becoming an exchange student in germany um wow. and yeah i was 16 and i made lots of friends there and at the time round trip airfare was 199 dollars. Wow. i worked at a coffee shop so it was easy to save up the money to travel back and forth a barista um yeah i was a barista man that's a um, good starter move for is. a bartender too because it teaches you how to work within a closed confined space and have to execute all these different things and also how yeah. to make a bunch of drinks in a rush yeah. line up the cups and just bang, keep bang, bang. yep and and also, you know, it just, it helps you keep the rhythm. So I was a barista and I, I made a good amount of money. So I was able to yeah. save up money and go back and forth every time there was a spring break, summer break. I have my family also lives in Italy. So I was able to go over there and learn a lot of culinary techniques because they're crazy. still in a little mountain town with sure. the wood burning oven outside. I love that. Yeah. So that's also where I got introduced to uh, the uh, Amari family. Um, oh, for and, real? Yeah. At and, that, what age were you? Um, I first went over there when I was eight and I remember having limoncello, uh, after dinner That's and crazy. that, and Averna and oh my like, God. And you know thinking how many people like, don't uh, know about it now? I yeah. just did to cut two events last uh, week and I'm do like, you do you want to know, know how more? traumatizing that is for an eight year old? And you're like, let me have a sip of that. You're oh, like, yeah. what? Um, yeah. oh, I think I had, they, I had grappa at. 12 when I went over there. That they don't time. believe in alcohol. No. It's not as over there. It's no. just like, hey, just drink. Everybody drink. <laughs> it is. But, you know, it. I think that also helped me develop a palate for it later. Like oh, when, yeah. Because your palate changes every seven years. So okay. um, you prefer more bitter things as you age. And yeah. that's why you get people like around like 28 to 30, they start preferring those, preferring those more bitter flavors. But children don't like bitter. They prefer sweet. So Absolutely. you can drink the same drink, but... You know, my palate had already been developed. 
Interesting. Um, and also the German Kräuterlikör. Kräuterlikör. Uh, Each city has their own version of Jägermeister. Oh, and they yeah. call it Kräuterlikör. And huh. they sell it in the little airline bottles, like where you would buy gum in the grocery store. Yeah. Um, so, and it's just sort of like the five-hour energy. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, let God. me just have a little, like, little underbird. <laughs> a little, a little underbird. <laughs> yeah. Just a little, and that's just, you know, the culture. So, that's great. Um, that's where I, I really first got into it, except, you know, the drinks I was mixing over there as a 16-year-old in Germany were terrible. What were um, you mixing over there? So I had a friend that was a, a bartender at our, our little local kneiper, a little little pub. Yeah. And the Don Faith was actually the good one. Um, mm. I, I wore a little, like, mobster hat, and they started calling me Don Faith. And because <sighs> in European bars they always have a coffee machine so i was a barista and sometimes i wanted booze in my coffee so he would make me a proper latte and he would put frangelico and whiskey in in the latte really do you Um, remember what kind of whiskey um was it scotch no no it it was whiskey but i can't remember what type i think maybe it was just like his well whiskey because i i was 16 (laughs) (laughs) but i I specifically uh, requested frangelico because i knew it had that nice nutty flavor and then i would have him put baileys in with the milk when he frothed it up right on yeah and then a little bit of whipped cream on top cinnamon and nutmeg and that was the dawn faith that was like my drink that i would always get and like and this is what age 16 damn um, I had no idea that you were all like that at 16. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't even want to tell you but, what else did at 16. But you want to know what else? El- no, no, no. You want to know what else I was drinking at 16 oh, living God. in Germany? Oh. And I really just think this was the bartender punishing us because he was our friend. Um, <laughs> which is what happens when you have 16-year-olds that are able to drink in bars because oh, it's Germany. Because your, your uh, 15-year-old yeah. friend is hooking you up. Well, no. <laughs> I, I think he friend. was like 20. He was definitely dating one of my friends. Yeah. Um, but wow. he would put everything he would take a uh, unmas like one of those big liter uh glasses yeah. that you would see like you know in the Hofbrauhaus house that people would be uh cheersing with so he would take that and he would just go down the line of everything he had like the same like way oh, that you go through shit. the well for a long time but yeah. he would just go with everything it's like a down suicide to, for the well oh no huh. down to hot sauce salt and pepper oh okay and then oh. he would put it in the middle of the table and mind you this thing was 20 bucks and it would get all maybe you know six to eight of us drunk so it's totally oh, worth it in our eyes you were and drunk <laughs> you were and he, like it would be like sprite coke That's it was crazy. literally like everything, everything you get is. hands on and then we would connect it. all the straws together so they'd be super long and you wouldn't yeah. have to get up to suck oh, out no. of this giant pitcher <laughs> Because he wouldn't give he wouldn't give us glasses like for that price. Kids games, <laughs> the, the That's funny. So you know, while I did have the Don Faith going on at sixteen, you're respecting Faith. me for that. You can also appreciate the exactly. fact that I drink whatever suicide oh mission God. that was. <laughs> God bless you. Oh, I also made my about. own absinthe. Um, nice. I don't think I was. I think it was on one of my later trips. Maybe I was like eighteen. Um, no, it was. I was 16. Okay. I still had very low alcohol standards. Um, <laughs> the, this is actually the landmark case as to why if something bounces when I drop it, I don't drink it. That That's my rule. Wait, what do you mean? If you take a bottle and it bounces when you drop it, Even I don't drink it. Even if it's it. glass? Um, glass shouldn't bounce when you drop it. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. If it did, that would be pretty spectacular. Um, you're like, would. I'm definitely it not would, drinking that. It, Even though it didn't break, you're like, I want yeah. to, but I won't. It's my rule of don't drink things that come in plastic bottles. Okay, you're always okay. going to regret it. That's so funny. Um, so 
uh, we ended up making absinthe while you still were able to legally buy absinthe yeah. and I would smuggle it back in Listerine bottles all the time. Like, huh. I don't know what they thought about, you know, this uh, girl living out of a backpack and they were going through all of my luggage, oh, which was so literally funny. a backpack, but I would somehow had a and full bottle of Listerine. Declare? No, sir. No. Well, huh. they would confiscate your alcohol. And absinthe was also illegal. So oh, I, and I bet the size. Yeah, they didn't take the uh, take small. Like you take a bottle of shampoo or something, and they throw it away. Oh yeah, but this oversized. was this was pre nine eleven. Well, this or was post nine eleven, but yeah. you know pre like all the super close restrictions. You were still able to fly with a liter of listerine in your backpack and your carry on. So. Um, that's how I would get all the absinthe back, but I decided to make my own absinthe while I was there. I remember we ordered the herbs on eBay, and I think we had them shipped uh, from somewhere in the Netherlands. We made our own absinthe with, like, their version of, like, you know, dangerous? Like, uh, probably. Um, so here's the thing. What happened? Germany has all of these large... Uh, like fountains that are left over from, you know, like the Renaissance period and these castles. So we were drinking in front of a castle and you've got, if you can imagine their goth kids are all very ornate. Like they dress like they're like in an Edgar Allan Poe uh, poem um, all the time. They only have like three, four outfits because they're all very expensive. Yeah. But they wear the hell out of them. them. (laughs) And so if you can imagine all of these like gothic kids and then a couple of punks all drinking this absinthe and it tasted terrible. Because we used, like, the cheapest vodka we could find because we were 16. We didn't know any better. wormwood and everything? Um, The wormwood and other herbs. And it was was not green. It was brown. Oh. It was the... I remember just, like, the smell of it made you want to vomit. Which is why... I'm drinking absinthe now, let alone... But it's why I know now you had to burn the sugar in it. Like, the whole absinthe... uh, Oh, yeah. Because basically... What I made is what alcohol was back then. Like, alcohol now tastes much better than it used to, which is why you had to do things like burn sugar into it and add water to even make it palatable. Now it's just to try to, like, get the anise flavor down a little bit. But then it was all about, like, this alcohol is literally bad. (laughs) So choked that down, and it actually, it is pretty trippy. People say, like, oh, it wasn't the wormwood. It was (laughs) the, uh, no, I really, whatever... It, it Man, was that's, like that's daring. It that's was like daring a, to drink that. It was a sad, trippy drunk. Like everyone ended up crying Aww. on the inside of oh. a, a like an old fountain. Oh, good like cry sometimes <laughs> helps during you know. A, but if you can imagine, place. like eight goth kids all like, oh my crying. god, they already have yeah. stuff to cry about, and suddenly it's like here it comes. Yeah, here it comes. <laughs> so you know that's my experience with homemade absinthe at sixteen, living wow, in Germany. That's and crazy. So I've been making my own, you know liquor and my own drinks for a while i think that's fantastic (laughs) now bring this up to date so how did you end up in pittsburgh well i'm from ohio and uh there there comes a time in most young ohioans lives where they decide it's time to leave ohio and move to the big city um kind of so originally i knew i just had to leave ohio and i moved to kelly's island and i knew that that was gonna that just went really small but yeah well i well i kind of got out of ohio i got out of mainland ohio and went to the water um and i knew that that would buy me some time to find my next spot and i knew i wanted to go tropical um so I was working at a, a cocktail bar up there, oh. and it was almost like cocktail camp because I was living in a small cottage with the head chef right oh, on the wow. beach. It was gorgeous, but I didn't have any internet. Uh, I didn't have a working phone. Um, I could get internet 
at work sometimes or if I went in the library parking lot because it was a very tiny town in the middle of the water. Um, and you have to take a boat even back and forth to go buy groceries. Wow. So it's pretty secluded. That's but fun. I did have Amazon and I was able to take some money and invest it in a lot of books. So I bought, it was like $600 worth of mixology books. And I didn't really have anything to do because I didn't really drink that much. Mm -hmm. um, like that was the only thing that people really did after work was just go out and drink or just read books. Um, so I read a lot of mixology books and I had my own little personal bar at home. Every time I'd go to the mainland, I'd invest in a couple more bottles oh, and a few great. more ingredients and a couple more things of bitters because they, there's not even a liquor store on the island. So every time you get off, you just you get your supplies and then you get, bring them back. Yeah. And I felt like that was prepping me for a future island life in a more secluded island, not nice. one that was so connected to a mainland. So I was able to almost have like a, a cocktail camp. Uh, and for because yourself. I was, yeah, and because <laughs> for I was, a party of one. <laughs> well, no, not for myself. I, I lived with head chef, and because yeah. it's such a small town that's landlocked. But that had to help because yeah. then you learned really about flavor yeah. profiles on a cooking level. I did, and because all of the the restaurant people are all connected there, we all yeah. just like rode bikes and golf carts to nice. each other's houses. That's I did fun. little pop up bars everywhere, and I was able to actually so like cool. test a lot of my cocktails, what was good, what wasn't, um, and I threw a lot of parties. Just because there's not really much else to do on an oh, island yeah. when you're not working. <laughs> um, so that is, uh, from that step, how I thought I was going to get even more out of Ohio. I thought I was going to go to St. John uh, and work at a small place there. And two hurricanes happened back oh. to back. So the place I was supposed to live and the place I was supposed to work just didn't exist anymore. Um, so I ended up finding myself back in Ohio. I got a job at a, a friend's, a small little French bakery with a, a bar. Um, and that ended up going out of business as well. And I just was looking for anywhere to, <laughs> to get out of Ohio. I think I went on a road trip to Columbus, Cincinnati, and Pittsburgh because those are the pl closest places. You went places. on a trip too, so you came and yeah. checked it out for a minute. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I wanted to just check out what I was looking at on Craigslist in person rather yeah. than, you know, trying to find things just on the internet. And those were the closest places What was the go. first town in, or first neighborhood you moved to, to in, um, in Pittsburgh? Uh, I moved to Brookline, and actually, Brookline. I came here huh. just to visit a friend of mine who had married somebody from Pittsburgh, and they bought a house here in Brookline, yeah. and uh, I loved it. I, I ended up deciding to move here within like 24 hours Fantastic. of the trip. Uh, what was yeah. it, Pittsburgh, <laughs> or the neighborhood, or both, or the person you were going to move in with? All of it. So knowing that I could have a, a landlord that I could trust because she's my friend, yeah. and she's huh. also living in the apartment, so it's all in our best interest to oh, have so a, a, a nice, a healthy, working healthy house. Yeah. You know, Not something that has like mold or leaks sure. in it. Like They, they actually repair it. It's <laughs> yeah, important because people really are taking advantage of like that. Um, and uh, no security deposit, and I cleaned the house for my first month's rent. Oh, that's um, cool. oh it that got well, you yeah, moved. Yeah, it was a construction site. Oh, that's and great. within an hour of that, we went and had lunch with somebody. I was in this, my landlord's wedding. Went and had lunch with somebody that was also in the wedding, and he was moving out of the country. Yeah. He was actually my very first cleaning client in Pittsburgh. Oh, um, wow. He hired me to do his final move-out clean and everything nice. that I wanted, I could just have. So, so like right away you had a little bit had, of work, you had a place to stay. I had a place to stay and I Good assumed to that be around. <laughs> I assumed when I was moving out of the country and also moved into employee housing on Kelly's Island that I was like just done with Ohio. I gave sure. away most of my things. Yeah. So within an hour I had an apartment and an apartment full of whatever furniture I needed, even That's down fantastic. to like trash bags and sponges, like literally everything sure. I needed. 
Um, and then uh, I had a lot of things to sell on Craigslist. Yeah. <laughs> so it nice. all, Pittsburgh happened to me. I didn't really. Oh, yeah. yeah. I like the way you put that. That's fantastic. Um, and I, I've grown so much here and met so many wonderful people. And I understand why, you know, when things happen easily, it's because you're meant to be there. Yeah, sure that. No, mm-hmm. that's good. That's good. So what was the first interaction with the with the Pittsburgh bar scene? Like, did, where did you get a job at or did you start right So away? that's actually another reason why I was so convinced that I could move to Pittsburgh because, uh, funny story, Pittsburgh's number one employer is actually the hospitality industry. It is <laughs> not the banking that's industry. Funny. It is not uh, the... Uh, it's not the hospital That's scene crazy. here. It's we have now. so many yeah. bars and restaurants, and we keep on opening up more every year. Like sometimes 40, 50, 60 a year. Yeah, and uh, so that makes it really easy to find a job. But I also realize that the talent pool is very thinly stretched uh, because of that. Um, and it's yeah, because uh, there, yeah, there you is got some rock stars, and then once they move around a little bit, you everybody mm-hmm. opens up other places and wants to do the same type of thing, but without the true talent, yeah. you don't really go anywhere with it. Well, I call it a lot of beautiful disasters. You have a lot of huh. people that put a lot of money into oh, building yeah, yeah. beautiful yeah, so concepts, true. and they're very well so thought true. out, but because there isn't the infrastructure there or even the management to try to run yeah. them, no, um, oh, man. it's very hard to try to execute them, and that's yeah. why I, there's so much going on in this bar and restaurant scene i see us progressing so quickly i am the only thing that i'm worried is that we don't have the talent pool to keep up with it and there's going to be a bubble that bursts and it has in several other cities um so it really my my question is how do we solve it like how do we spread the education around so that all these people that want these jobs that are here to the average bar and get a terrible drink or the bartender only knows how to do duos like rum and coke Mm -hmm. vodka tonics and the thing is is like they, it's the ego. Everybody thinks they're like this rock star. And even mm-hmm. if you're like an uneducated bartender that t- strictly tends the bar, make sure everybody has something in their hands. Mm-hmm. That's great. But then if you don't even know how to make like a balanced whiskey sour or, you know, some, even hell, you might not even know balance in a duo. You might make overly strong drinks because mm-hmm. you don't get it. Like you think that pouring more liquor is going to get you more tips. All you're doing is securing the fact that you won't have a job for very long because you're, well, that's or if an that owner recognizes that they are losing money because that's the other thing is uneducated owners that, that own bars that they're losing money constantly and they don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I went off on a tangent oh, there, but fine. obviously being sponsored by Steel City Mixology, um, the Devour and Addictive Podcast likes to focus on education of people and talking about things that are important. And, and that's definitely one of our true soft spots is the fact that you still can go out and get crappy drinks almost anywhere you go, except for a few places that the bartenders and mixologists really know what they're doing, you know? So let me ask you this. So you came to Pittsburgh. You got into the bar scene. You said, what was the first place that you started working? Or you don't want to say. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's say we don't answer that question, right? Okay, perfect. So it's somewhere in Pittsburgh. Somewhere in the south side of Pittsburgh. (laughs) a bad experience. Mm -hmm. Um, When did you jump into your first competition because i know you're an award-winning mixologist yeah. what was your first oh, competition geez, steve um so my first competition was actually where i, I met your other host steve kowalczyk 
Um, <laughs> That's new it was the Woodford Reserve Manhattan competition. Fantastic. And actually, while I was on Kelly's Island, uh, Kelly's Island is kind of where all of the the liquor reps love to go. Yeah. Because it's a paid vacation, sure. basically. You're, you get the boat ride paid oh, for out yeah, to the yeah, island. Okay. They give they you a get golf to go cart. To work, work, yeah. work, you know? work, work. And, you know, it's, it's a gorgeous account to have. Yeah. And that's actually how I started going out there was as a liquor promo model. Um, and that's a whole other story of my involvement with the liquor industry. Wow. Um, but <laughs> so I end up having stories. a lot of liquor reps come through and try some of my cocktails. And one of my cocktails that I made from local lilacs that were on the island, um, because what I like to do was go foraging and then find ways to make cocktails from the ingredients That's that my I found. next question for you, but we'll get to that. <laughs> so I had a, a lilac cocktail, and all the reps said, this is a competition cocktail. This could really nice. do well. Nice. And that kind of planted that seed of, well, I should just start entering these competitions that I find. I, I think I'm good enough. And then you got to Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And, and then I got to Pittsburgh. I found the Woodburn Manhattan competition. Nice. They actually set That's me up. solid competition yeah, right it there. It is. They set me up next to Steve, and That's I me did. Once again. <laughs> yeah, I. I... <laughs> I was in it too. He was in it too. But here's the thing: is we both had smoked cocktails. Yeah. Um, yeah. And smoking. we had different style smokers and different smoking yeah, techniques. Yeah. So we ended up connecting on that and realizing that we had a. A very similar style of mixology. Well, I, I have to be honest. Mm-hmm. When I saw your your stylings, I, I dug it completely. And you put out a couple pictures, and I was always already a Facebook friend, mm-hmm. friend, quote unquote. You know, like we didn't meet each other yeah. yet. But I, I was watching these pictures that were very nature based. You know, you were in trees and flowers, or mm-hmm. picking something that was in a cocktail, and utilizing vintage things like, I believe, a teapot and and a, a teacup and it, it, it's so impressive to me and uh, i'm not afraid of competition in fact competition breeds success so the fact that i get to watch this and and think about things that i love and and how you applied them differently to your thing that's pretty remarkable and at the same time i hope i do that for other people too like i just we're all unique in our, our creativity and I, I want that to be known you know so that's a huge thing the the, the foraging for you is it not it is. So um, while I was on Kelly's Island, you know, without the phone or the internet, <laughs> which honestly, it was really nice to be unplugged for a summer, but it was also really nice to plug back in oh, yeah, and yeah. get back to reality a little bit. Um, I was spending a lot of time foraging because that island is owned mostly by the Natural History Museum. So everything is just... So everything's uh, yeah. just pristine. And it That's honestly, great. it feels a lot like St. John... Did, which is why I wanted to move between the two because St. Oh, John yeah. is Rockefeller's old private island and most oh, of it's no. now a national park. Oh, awesome. So it's pristine, like that's private what Island. Pirates of the Caribbean looked like. Yeah, that's great. <clears throat> and Kelly's Island is full of fossils, like really? all in the, the glaciers carved yeah. out into the rock formations. Wow. You can just see fossils. That's great. Mm-hmm. So I d- spent yeah, a lot of time out. in nature and seeing what I could eat. Like my favorite saying was, ooh, what's that? Can I eat it? Uh, <laughs> and I started out by finding the, that, that thought pattern might get you in trouble at some point. It can, yeah, it can. Okay. But I started out well. Now, when I could plug in, yeah. um, you I, like, I research. would I'd research. Yeah. And the best thing to start out with is what's edible and bloom in my region right now. Oh yeah. Does it have any poisonous? Oh yeah, yeah. Now you know all that yeah. stuff, and you could go right for those yeah. items. Um, and there's also some really nice apps now when you aren't plugged in, uh, where you can take a picture of something. And it tells you what it thinks it is, and you can actually have a little bit more guidance oh, for your wow. research. Nice. Um, and That's with that research, cool you can think time. like, oh, well, now I know that there's no poisonous lookalikes for an oyster mushroom in oh, North yeah, America. Yeah. So if oh, I see something that looks like an oyster... I just need to make sure it doesn't have bugs on it. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, That's great. So 
I also uh, I didn't have that much money while I was on this island. It was very expensive to live there. So foraging my ingredients was one of the ways that I could actually, you know, throw these awesome parties and make these great syrups and bitters and things like that. Because I had a lot of time on my hands. Those that's next level. Like you Um, get it for free and you create something mm -hmm. truly next level. That that I could see why you're in competitions because Mm -hmm. that type of. um, the way that you're using these these natural ingredients mm-hmm. is just pretty So impressive. I'm not done with that island yet. Yeah. So that entire island is covered in juniper. Really? I love gin. I would yeah. love to make a Kelly's Island gin out of nothing but ingredients that are forged from the island. That's pretty That's yeah. pretty interesting. That's that's my one goal. So this year right now I have a, a creme de violette sitting around. Yep. So uh, violet flowers grow everywhere. And while they're normally... French violets yeah. that they would use for that. Uh, the wild violets that we had you here. You mean the little purple ones? Yeah, the I have a ton of them in my backyard. Uh, not anymore. Not now, they're they were, they're yeah. seasonal yeah. if you know how to plant it. That's why I was always out yeah. during violet I didn't season. Plant those. They're just uh, so if you collect just the petals, yeah. they actually have a butterfly PT effect where really? it changes colors from purple to with fuchsia acid with acid. Shift. Huh. And the same thing will happen if you steep it long enough and basically sh- like a, a sugared vodka. That's awesome. Yeah. Let me, <laughs> let me uh, ask you another question, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really enjoying our conversation, though, mm-hmm. by the way. So thank you for coming in. Um, so what do you see as a new trend or the future trends of the industry, um, let's say local and nationally? I mean, honestly, you just said it. Local. Oh, just local, local, everything local, 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 for, local, like getting as local as local you can. Local honeys, local spirits, local yes. uh, foraging for yes. products or uh-huh. for items that you can local use. Local fruit when it's in season. Yeah, Lo- coming like, from the farms, yes. like everything just, man, that could, Farm could, to table and garden to, to glass. Yeah. Well, garden garden to glass, mostly like seeing bars planting their own bars for their garnishes. Oh, yeah. Are, are planting their own gardens for their garnishes. Uh, even using cool. like community garden space, uh, depending oh, yeah, on yeah, where you are. Oh, yeah, yeah, because there's some really big yeah. gardens out there and or stuff. rooftop space there are a couple places that i've worked uh where we had a garden just out back around the mm. side and you know whenever you were coming in for your shift you went yeah. and harvested what you needed that's great yeah what do you see as a national trend <sighs> honestly i see it becoming more natural and getting rid of artificial colors and flavors yeah, um yeah. i'm seeing a lot of people come come down like i love campari that is honestly, it's the first thing I ordered so in a bar good, when so I turned good. 21. Uh, oh, that's an but interesting choice. I see a lot of people, it is, it's because I really wanted to know what it tasted like. I had worked as a cocktail waitress. Yeah, because you had that developed palate, so you were interested yeah, in that Yeah, but stuff. also as a cocktail waitress. I remember waitress. it sitting on a shelf. I never knew what to do yeah. with it. I didn't taste it. I didn't even taste it. I thought it For tasted years. like cherry. Like, like or cherry. I, I thought that's it would taste like cherry. Oh, it would taste like cherry. Because it's red. That's that color relationship <laughs> and, and that color relationship, you also think what it's going to be sweet. What does purple tomato juice taste like? I don't know. <laughs> but also the color relationship, you would associate red with sweet. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, you know, yeah. 21-year-old Faith yeah. thought that wow. Campari yeah, was... Yeah, you got the opposite yeah. on that one, boy. I ordered a Campari and soda, and that was like, Ugh. but oh, I, I drank it. That was my money. <laughs> That's fantastic. Did someone tell um, you to mix it with something, or you just ordered it by itself? Um, I ordered Campari and soda because I was a cocktail waitress at that point yeah. in time, and I served it, but I was never allowed to try it. Um, so I was just oh, like, weird. oh, what are no these? one was believing in uh, cocktail education or spirit education at that time. Actually, I worked at the Marriott and I felt like I had an amazing spirit education for yeah. what was available at the time. This oh, was okay. like 2006. Oh, you did. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, you had worldly yeah. experience. Yeah, well, worldly, but also uh, the Marriott had a very good education program. Oh, they were just de- coming dealing up some zero. good education for yeah, you. Because yeah, because I came in as a, uh, a room service Thumbs server. i Marriott. Yeah, well, yeah, well I, I came in as a room service server at 19, or 18, um, and you weren't allowed to serve alcohol in Ohio until you were 19. Yeah. Uh, so they had me sitting in room service till my 19th birthday, and then they had me sitting as a cocktail waitress until my 21st birthday. Uh, and they gave me some amazing liquor education and also just education on, you know, how to make a cocktail. They, they had a, a jigger regulation back when everyone was jigger like, what's a jigger? Well, you had to you pour had everything to, into a jigger yeah, and absolutely. everything had That's to be you, measured. I teach out to every place that I do consulting yeah. work. It's got to happen because you measure everything and now you know mm-hmm. and you could say if everybody's doing that, then it's specific, yeah. you know. Um, but going back to what's going to be a national trend, I think because education is a lot easier to get, mm. thinking, you know, well, what was acceptable in 2006? A jigger was like, oh, they make you guys use a jigger for everything. I just free pour it. Um, oh, a lot so has changed. The trend will be yeah, the, more of, uh, of standardized pouring. Standardized pouring, pouring and also just people knowing how to make basic drinks and just standard regulations. Because if you think about it, what you can try to say what's the industry standard for this and there really oh, is no yeah, industry no. standard for anything uh, uh, or people know, like to think there is but there's man, not honestly the industry standard is total chaos there is and it varies from <laughs> yeah, place to place yeah. so i think you're going to get a lot more places saying what their personal standards <laughs> are and from that you might get a more defined industry standard of what's acceptable wow that's cool okay so i have two questions for mm-hmm. you all right if you can make any drink for somebody what would it be and who would it be for? And you get to share oh, it with man. them. So you both get to sip on this drink together. Oh, so definitely Snoop Dogg. Okay. Definitely. Okay. And what would you make for him? <laughs> so I recently had a competition beverage uh, for a, 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 an event with Copper and King's Brandy. Yeah. And with Copper and King's mixtape, you have to make a drink to a song. Oh, nice, nice. And I've always actually thought, you know, they have that game. Like, fuck, Mary kill. Yeah. Well, I have who would you like to have over for dinner? I think that that's a lot nicer. Sounds like a totally different yeah. game to It's me. a totally <laughs> different game. <laughs> it's the nice version of it. It's a real um, nice version. But it, it gives you an idea. No one like gets fucked or killed. No, no. Okay. Or, or nobody needs to get married either. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I always say that I would love to have both Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg over for dinner. Oh man, that's those two together are amazing. They are together, yeah. but you want to talk so about so different, but so <laughs> the same too. They've got the same type of personality. Yes, salads, you want to yeah. talk about an awesome dinner party. I've oh, often thought about dinner. like you know those big copper pineapples. Yeah, like there's just so many glassware that I look at that I'm like, if I ever have Snoop Dogg uh-huh. and Martha Stewart over for dinner, that's when I'm gonna get it. But yeah. I don't need this, you know, oh, sure, sure, seventy five dollar pineapple right now. <laughs> that's great. I saw that seventy five dollar pineapple and I wanted to buy it too. I'll be honest with you. So I I, I okay. thought it out, okay. but um, when it actually came around time for this competition, I chose the song "Fruit Juice" by Snoop Lion, which nice. is actually oh, Snoop so Dogg's re- so <laughs> Rastafarian resurrection of himself. Um, that's great. Coming and back. I uh-huh. took a, a lot of the fruits that were mentioned in the song, oh, that's great. and I ended up making a cocktail out of it, it with their uh, their history of lovers, rose and honey and strawberry gin from Copper and Kings. Oh, it's honestly, fantastic. it is the best gin I've ever tried, and I thought that their American dry gin was literally shout the out to best. Copper and Kings, shout out to Copper and Kings, man. So I I thought that their 
gin was the best gin that I've ever tried, and somehow they topped it. Oh, my. Um, so, you know, there's almost like a little tear I have to wipe away from my Aww, eyes. They somehow so just made the my better best gin even better. Uh, but, you know, you had honey and strawberries yeah. and hibiscus oh, and roast anything, and it does get better. Forget about it. So I ended up using that in a, a tiki-style drink, and he talks about having a honeycomb hideaway in the song Fruit Juice, so I took a honeycomb from a friend's farm and an inverted lime, and I filled the lime with brandy and the honeycomb, so you had a little, like, a brandy uh, my snack. Heart skips a beat. Uh, there was a CBD gummy underneath nice. the umbrella oh, wow. um, oh, wow. that I put in there because, you know, you have a honeycomb hideaway sure, that sure. needs an umbrella. Mm, of course. Um, and they... I would really just love to share my my beverage dedicated to to Snoop Dogg that's with fantastic. him, um, and you know Snoop he's always Dogg. been that dream dinner guest of mine. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, but you know I've also had this conversation. I would not want to be Snoop Dogg's bestie. That seems like a lot of a lot of commitment uh, and work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's a very good answer. Um, I actually, excited. every time I see. Uh, the artist Space Jesus performed just the way <laughs> that he is, the way he performs. I, I yeah. just want to be his bestie. That's seems like he'd be a nice low maintenance right bestie. Okay, okay. But Snoop Dogg, he seems like he has a lot of secrets. Mm. I don't, I don't okay. know. <laughs> he a lot I'm, of maintenance. <laughs> see, we all have some secrets. But, but you know. <laughs> That's good. Okay, so we're ready for the last question? Yes. This gets a little bit harder. Maybe not. Maybe not. Basically, you knew that tomorrow you're going to die. Okay. Today would be the day that you make your very last cocktail for yourself. Ooh. What would it be and why would you choose that cocktail? A Negroni. A Negroni, Because really? when life gets tough, a Negroni tastes great. That, that's I, honestly, I honestly can't argue with that. Yeah, no, like I, I realized, you know, I, I had that was a quick. tough time that on. That was quick. I it, love it's, it. It's Shout out to, to, uh, to Negroni Kafari once again. Uh, yeah, and you know... I like to add one part Luxardo to that Negroni. And that's actually, I call it a Add lo- a part or take a modified okay. part? Okay, so it ends up being four parts instead of three. Oh, okay. Um, and it's just one that's part Luxardo. It's a bigger drink and delicious. It's too. a bigger drink and delicious too. And wow. if I'm going to die. How long have you been doing that? Um, that actually started when I moved to Pittsburgh. That was my, my shift bev. At oh. the end of the night, what I would, would you just, call that version? Uh, I call it a luxury Negroni because of the Luxardo, oh. and it makes me feel. Lux- actually, and actually, when that's you get so really special. luxurious, you do a topper of a uh, prosecco. Jesus, yeah, that sounds fantastic. It just you Loose know, slice or a big cube. Um, I I stir it first, I strain it, and then I top it with the prosecco, and I add the you orange. Can, oh yeah, no ice at all. No ice. Nice, just strain it. And, just oh wow, mm-hmm. so you're. I'm doing it, and preferably yeah. if I'm feeling really fancy, that's, it's that's in a coupe. Good. Okay. Oh. Um, okay. Okay. Wow. But yeah, nice. um, when I really enjoy it, it's in one of those stemmed mason jars, um, and I'll. <laughs> so you have a, a mason jar. I think it's called a redneck wine glass. So you have a stemmed oh, mason boy. jar, and I, I do. Uh, yeah, I you do. had me up until the redneck wine glass. Okay. But no. Okay, no. No. Okay. But when I do it with ice, it's in the redneck mason jar. It kind of makes sense because you get to and just with a kick straw. It. Yeah. And I'm and just it, kicking that it. That casualizes a very sophisticated and cocktail I, enough to where you could drink it anywhere. And going room. back to the foraging part, seasonally, depending on where I am, whatever I'm picking is in there. So if it's elderflower, I've got a bunch of elderflower oh, in there. Nice, if it's nice. rose, just I've just got some roses in there. Fantastic. If you know, I've got mint lying around. Mint is great in it, especially if you're sipping it in the summertime during the day. I love it. I yeah. love it. 
Faith, it's been such a pleasure sitting and talking to you. I'm really glad we got to meet the mixologist. Please come back and join us for another segment. Uh, Let's uh, figure out something new to talk about because I can see where this runs deep and I like to be able to spin it off of what we've spoken about before. So please come back again. Thanks for having me, Steve, on Devour, an addictive podcast.